Well, I can't promise you how uh, your invitation might go as you utilize those uh, church invites, but uh, I can uh, tell you that the risk is, is worth it. You know, I, I read a study recently that said that uh, 82% of the people who responded to this survey said that they would attend church if somebody asked them. And in that same study, uh, it, it said that only 2% of church attenders had ever asked somebody, had ever invited somebody to worship with them. And so uh, we, we need to change that number. And, uh, and so this week, really, dude, uh, take that risk. It's worth it. You know, e- even if somebody uh, receives that invitation and says, this is a dumb idea, I'm not, I'm, you know, I, I won't, I don't want to go to church with you. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Uh, you know, just allow the Holy Spirit to use uh, your uh, risk to use that invitation in a way that maybe you won't have the opportunity to see, uh, but uh, just trust that God is going to take advantage of that, and uh, he will, and uh, it'll be worth the risk. And so uh, grab some of those invitations. They're at the Next Step station. They're on the table. Take a few extra and uh, think about and pray about the folks that you uh, can be inviting to worship with us next uh, next weekend. I'm, I'm excited for this week. I mean, Easter is coming up. I'm excited about that. I'm excited to see what God will do through those invitations and through our worship uh, next Saturday evening and Sunday morning. I'm looking forward to that. I'm a baseball fan, and even though I'm a Kansas City Royals fan, I'm looking forward to opening day uh, this Thursday. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I have uh, a daughter in high school and a son in high school who play softball and baseball and uh, high school baseball and softball uh, begin this week. And so I'm looking forward to uh, those opening days. You know, that's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, and so I'm anticipating those things. And so uh, maybe for those reasons, I was, I was interested to see that somebody sent me some footage of Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth, one of the greatest baseball players of all time. I, I received this footage of him taking some swings. And these swings were, were well, they were terrible baseball swings. Uh, Babe Ruth, uh, I wish I could show the footage. I tried to, to capture it in a way that uh, would be presentable, and I just couldn't get that done this week. And it's old footage, and it was just uh, uh, not really viewable. I have a picture of Babe Ruth, though, and when you take a look at this guy, uh, maybe a professional athlete doesn't jump off the page at you, you know? Maybe, maybe you're not thinking that. And when you saw this guy take swings, uh, he, he missed the baseball. He, he swung and missed, and he swung so hard that his momentum just took him around and he spun around on his front foot. He looked like a little boy or a little girl playing t-ball, you know, when the the bat's almost too heavy and it it takes everything they can to to swing it at all and then they just twirl around on their front foot either because the bat is so heavy and the momentum takes them or it's fun to spin around on your foot, right? Whichever one of those might be the case. And and so Babe Ruth, one of the greatest baseball players of all time looks like this kid playing t-ball just a terrible swing doesn't make contact if you looked at those swings and maybe even if you look at this picture you you perhaps wouldn't guess that this guy hit 714 career major league home runs and when you put his picture next to this is Jorge Soler right next to him he plays for the Royals he's hit 29 career home runs All right. If you put those pictures up next to each other and I asked you, who's the better athlete? You know, who's the more successful professional athlete? I 
I think I know which one I would choose. And it just, it just reminded me of how hard it is sometimes to get a clear picture of, of the people that we're, we're viewing. In fact, walking around these halls in the next couple of weeks will be a national champion weightlifter. This, this young lady who won the national champion in powerlifting. This is a pretty amazing story to me. Uh, that's pretty cool. And, and if, you, if, if I asked you to pick out, you know, this person who's a national champion weightlifter, I, I don't think any of us would pick this, this young lady out. She weighs 106 pounds. Not exactly the image of, if I said, hey, pick out the weightlifter, who perhaps you're going to point to. It's just hard to get this very clear picture of people. And for sure, that has always been the case with Jesus. I think it's true today that we have a hard time of getting a clear picture of who Jesus really is. And it was true even when Jesus was walking around on this earth. It was true when he walked into a road into Jerusalem a couple thousand years ago. You know, just a year before Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he had been teaching and preaching and performing these miracles, and his popularity had grown uh, to the point where uh, people were interested. They wanted, to, they wanted to meet this Jesus guy. They wanted to see what he could do. They wanted to hear what he was saying. And so when word got out that Jesus was in the area, crowds started to gather. And on this one day in particular, uh, a really large crowd gathered. You, you have to understand that in this uh, time period, they only counted the men at such things. And so when scripture says that there were 5,000 people present, well, there were way more than 5,000 people. There were, were men and women and children. And so there was this huge crowd that had gathered to listen to Jesus. And he, he taught and he preached and he taught some more and he preached some more. And he, he listened and met with people. And the day sort of started to drag on to the point where his friends were worried about this crowd of folks and it was almost dinner time and maybe they were hungry and they said Jesus what are we going to do we can't we can't take care of these people it's time to send them home you know send them home to take care of themselves and to have dinner and and so Jesus looked at his buddy Philip and he said Philip you know what would it take for us to provide for these folks what would it take for us to, to feed them dinner? And Philip started to do the math, and he said, Jesus, there's no way. That we, we don't have enough money in the treasury. There's no way we can do this. It would be more than a year's salary for all of us combined, probably. We can't do it. We can't feed this many people. And, and so Jesus' other friend, Andrew, I, I think if I was Andrew, I would have said this just to sort of pile on, just to make the point. You know, I, I imagine Andrew saying to Jesus, yeah, Jesus, look, we found this kid and he has five loaves of bread and a couple fish. That will feed that kid. You know, there's no way we can do this. There's nothing we can do. And Jesus said, well, bring me that meal. Bring me that kid's lunch. And so they brought to Jesus these five loaves of bread and a few fish. And, and scripture says that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And this is one of the parts of the story where we sort of rush past, you know. And Jesus is praying for this food. But, but imagine the scene of thousands and thousands of people gathered. And Jesus is asked, what would it take to feed them? And they said, more than a year's salary, we can't do it. We only have this little, this happy meal. We have this kid's five pieces of bread and a few fish. And Jesus gives thanks. 
Jesus stops to give thanks for these five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And then he breaks it apart. And he starts to pass it out. And he keeps passing it out. And he keeps passing it out. And he keeps passing it out. Until everyone in the crowd had had enough to eat. More than 5,000 people. In fact, Jesus sends his 12 closest friends out into the crowd afterwards to gather up what was left. And they filled 12 baskets full of leftover food. And it's at that moment when this crowd of people, more than 5,000 strong, they start to kind of talk to each other. And this, this train of thought starts to run through their conversations that this is what a leader is supposed to look like. You know, if we want to have a king, we want a king who can take care of us. And it was a year before Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey that he had to sneak away to a mountain so that the crowd wouldn't try to proclaim him king on the spot. As Jesus uh, rode into the, uh, Jerusalem on that day a, a year later, I mean, it sort of happened again. Uh, Jesus' popularity had grown and then waned after that, and he had begun to attract a following, uh, a large following once again, maybe due to some of the stuff that he had been up to. He had just recently raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. I suppose that would be a story worth repeating. I suppose that would draw some attention. And so it, it shouldn't have been a surprise that so many folks gathered as Jesus uh, sent a uh, couple of his buddies to, to grab a donkey and bring it to him. And he started to ride this donkey into Jerusalem. And in the crowd that gathered laid their coats down before him and they put palm branches down on the road as he rode into Jerusalem. And they shouted, Hosanna, God saves us. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I'm not sure whether Jesus' closest friends, the 12, I'm not sure if they, they realized as they went to receive the, this donkey, as they, they went to get, bring the donkey to Jesus, and as they saw Jesus ride into Jerusalem, I'm not sure how much of the Old Testament prophecy was running through their mind. I'm not sure how much of the Psalms they were hearing repeated. I'm not sure how much of their, their, their Sunday school lessons, their, well, synagogue lessons, as a kid, they were remembering as Jesus fulfilled this prophecy, and as people worshipped him, and as religious leaders gathered there and talking to Jesus and his disciples said, you've got to tell these people to stop. This is blasphemy. And Jesus looks at them and says, if they stop crying out, these rocks will yell and worship and cry out in their place. It's so odd. It's so amazing that just a few days later, many of the same people who lined those streets, who laid their coats down in front of that donkey, who shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, would be shouting again, but instead of Hosanna, they'd be shouting, crucify him. It makes you want to sort of reach back in time, to reach your arms out through history and just shake those people. Say, what are you thinking? Well, why couldn't you see? 
And I'm just reminded how easy it is for me to want to do that, standing in a room where I've just sang these songs with you, where we've proclaimed out loud, some of us really well, and if you sing like me, really poorly, but you've sang loud. We believe in the resurrection. We believe that you're coming again. I ate a piece of bread with you. And I drank a cup of juice, and we celebrated communion together. And as we ate that bread and we drank that juice, we proclaimed, we shouted out with our actions that I believe that Jesus died and raised again. And I anticipate celebrating this meal with him again someday in heaven. I think, man, it's so easy to want to ask those people a few thousand years ago, why couldn't you see it? But you know, Monday's coming. And I'll be reminded in just a few hours of how hard it is to sort of shout out with my actions and my words and my relationships kind of outside of this environment, surrounded by others shouting out in the same way, how hard it is to shout Hosanna with my everyday life. And how easy it is to instead proclaim crucify him. How hard it is to keep this clear picture of who Jesus really is. Now that's why it's so important that we spend a few minutes this morning and and reading through this story in Mark chapter 11 because we can have a clear picture of who Jesus is. And I think this story in Mark chapter 11, the first 11 verses, teaches us three pictures, offers us three pictures that help us to know uh, more clearly who Jesus really is. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to Mark chapter 11. We're going to take a look at the first 11 verses this morning. Maybe you're reading on that YouVersion app. That's a great thing to do if you have it on your phone. You can find the events tab, search for Wallula. You'll find all the the scripture references there in Mark chapter 11, the first 11 verses. There's also an outline in that app that's present on the backside of your welcome packet there, your bulletin. So if you want to follow along and fill in the blanks, you can do that as well. Uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. This is what God's word says. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, tell him the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, and as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to, to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to, to Bethany with the twelve. So three pictures that I think are painted here in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Picture number one is that Jesus is Lord. 
Jesus is Lord. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it, you will find a colt there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. This is really cool uh, conversation to me. It's really uh, neat to sort of see this interaction between Jesus and a couple of his closest friends in the conversation that I really think only Jesus can have. Because here he is talking to a couple of his buddies. They're getting ready to get to Jerusalem, to arrive at Jerusalem and to, to enter in. And, and they've walked into Jerusalem before, mind you. Jesus walked everywhere he went. You know, everywhere he went, Jesus walked, and he, he always walked with his buddies. And, and so with his, this group of friends, he says to a couple of them, hey, I want you to go to this house, and I want you to untie this donkey and bring it back to me. And they say, well, what if somebody asks? You know, we're not paying for this donkey. We're not renting the donkey. What if somebody asks what, what we're doing? Jesus said, just tell them that I need it. It's a conversation that really only Jesus can have. It, it reminds me of conversations I have sometimes with, with my kids. My youngest daughter, I, I love Zoe to death, and Zoe is, is my youngest, and she has this way of, of replying to her dad when, when maybe I'll ask her to do something, or, or even when I just say, Zoe, how'd your day go? And, and she'll, she'll fill me in on what happened, and then I'm a dad, and so I'll, I want to offer some real wisdom or whatever, and I, I lay that on my daughter Zoe, and she'll say, Okay, Dad. Okay. And we've all been there, right? I mean, we've all replied that to, to maybe our dad or our mom or our boss or our friends. Okay, whatever you say, that'll be fine. And what I know about Zoe is, Zoe's probably going to follow through. Like, if I say, Zoe, I need you to do this, then Zoe's probably going to do that for me. She's probably going to obey. Even as she expresses herself and lets me know, Dad, I'm going to do this. I don't like it very much. I kind of think it's dumb. It really annoys me. She's probably going to do it. And I just have to imagine that as Jesus says to a couple of his buddies, hey, John and Peter, I want you to go into town. I want you to get this donkey. Just untie it and bring it to me. And they say, well, what happens if somebody asks? You know, what, what do we tell them? And Jesus says, just tell them I need it. And they go, okay, Jesus, like seriously? Uh, you know, listen to what Jesus asked them to do. Uh, I, Jesus said, hey guys, I want you to go steal this donkey for me. I mean, it's grand theft donkey. <laughs> and, and there's two disciples, they're just like, well, it's Jesus. So I guess we'll go ahead and do it. But it doesn't make any sense. And, and the whole way to this guy's house, the whole way to find this donkey, I imagine they're praying, God, don't let us see anybody. Don't let us see anybody. Don't let us see anybody. You know, just let us sort of sneak in and take the donkey with us, and then we'll bring the donkey back, and everything will be okay. But that's not what happens, right? They show up at the house. They untie the donkey. And who shows up? Well, the owner of the donkey comes out. And he says, hey, what's going on? We get a little fuller picture of this conversation in, in Luke. This, this story shows up in all four Gospels. But in, in Luke chapter 19, uh, we get a little clearer picture of this conversation. Luke chapter 19, it begins in verse 29. Uh, you can turn there if you want. If you don't want to, that's okay. Just uh, much of this conversation is going to sound really, really similar, right? It's very close. 
And verse 29, it says, As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. Now, it's interesting in this conversation because there's a couple words that in the English are translated differently for us. It's the, it's the word that is used to describe Jesus' Lord, and it's the word that's used to describe the owners of the donkey. It's just the owners of the donkey, right? In, in Greek, these words are, are really the, basically the same word, all right? So you could, you could literally translate this as, as saying... Uh, Go, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. So those who sent ahead went and found the colt, as he had told them, as they were untying it. It's lords asked them, why are you untying the colt? All right, you could, you could translate those two words in the same way. The only difference would sort of be, to put it in our understanding, a, a lowercase l, and a capital L, right? And so the, the, the word that we translate as owner describes the, the owners of the donkey as being responsible for, as owning, as being stewards, as being a lord, lowercase l, of the donkey. That makes sense to us, right? I mean, we, we, we drove here, we're lord of the cars we drove, right? That's our stuff. We're lord of our house, you know, Kind of. We own it, right? Sort of. We're in charge of that. We're responsible for that. We, we don't use this language. We would say that I'm a mom or I'm a dad, I'm a parent. But you could just as easily say, right, I'm a lord of this child, this kid. I'm responsible for him or her. I have to take care of them. I provide for them. And then Jesus is described as Lord as capital L, as in charge of not just this donkey, but the Lord of the donkey. He's, he's the Lord of the Lord of the donkey. He's responsible for, he's in charge of, he cares for, he provides for everything. So that donkey, when Jesus said, it's a conversation that literally only Jesus can have because he says, go get that donkey and tell them the Lord needs it because it's my donkey. Right? Because I have this relationship with that owner of the donkey because Jesus is Lord. It's why, it's why those two disciples decide, even though it didn't make sense to them, even though it was a little confusing, even though they were probably concerned about what would take place, they decided, I'm going to go into town, I'm going to find the donkey, because Jesus is Lord. It's why each one of us this week needs to figure out how can we, how do we need to acknowledge Jesus as Lord in our life. For some of us, it might be acknowledging for the very first time that Jesus is Lord and Savior and accepting him in baptism. We just need to give in and acknowledge him in that way. 
For some of us, maybe it's, it's giving for the first time, or maybe it's serving for the first time on a ministry team, or maybe it's, it's inviting our neighbor who we've been thinking about and praying about, and, and we know that, that maybe they'd come and worship with us if we just set, ask them to, and it's maybe taking that invitation card and, and acknowledging Jesus as Lord and taking that risk. You know, each one of us has to figure out oh, how do we need this week, today, tomorrow, how do we need to acknowledge Jesus as Lord with that capital L, being in charge of everything? Even as we practice, you know, lordship with that lowercase l in our life, how do we acknowledge Jesus as Lord? It's the first picture here in Mark chapter 11 that Jesus is Lord. Picture number two is that Jesus is King. Before we rush into picture number two, we, you know, it's easy to see that Jesus is Lord because everything happens exactly like he said, right? He said, go and you'll find this donkey, and if anybody asks, tell them the Lord needs it, and they're going to say, okay, and then bring me the donkey. In verses four through six, that's exactly what happens, right? Jesus is Lord. It's so, it's so easy to see. Uh, let's think about Jesus as king in picture number two. Verse 7 through 10 say, When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is a scene that was painted for us uh, you know, years and years and years before Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. If you, if you turn in, in your Bibles to, uh, to the prophecies, Prophets like Zechariah and Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, you'll read words like this Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. If, if you turn to the Psalms, you'll read uh, Psalms like Psalm 118. Verses 25 in, in that psalm that says, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And so the Old Testament has looked forward to this moment when Jesus rides into Jerusalem as a king. Understand that's not always how we read this. Sometimes we read this in, in anticipating, in anticipation of Easter, and we think that must be how other people are seeing this. They're, they're, they're celebrating Jesus for what he is going to do. But that's not how these parades work, is it? In my office, there's a poster that's hanging up, a friend of my maid, and, and it's on, on my shelves, and it's this great picture of a, of a World Series celebration a few years ago for the Royals. And there's all these people in the downtown Kansas City, and it's a huge crowd, and, and you know, people estimate that there were maybe 800,000 people packed in. And, and man, looking at that picture, it, it looks like a Where's Waldo book, right? And everybody's in blue, and it's like, man, for sure there could have been 800,000 people there. It sure looks like it in the picture and all those people celebrating jammed into one place watching this parade what was the parade for somebody who had already conquered somebody who had already won 
Opening day will be this Thursday. It will be maybe the largest crowd in, in, in the uh, Kauffman Stadium this baseball season for opening day. But you know what they won't have? They won't have a parade leading to the stadium because we don't throw parades in anticipation of what might happen. We throw parades for what has occurred, what has already been done. When you win the World Series, we're going to show up to the parade. Jesus rides into Jerusalem as king. You know, sometimes we talk about, even, even saying yes to Jesus for the first time, we sometimes use language as saying, we need, we need to make Jesus Lord and Savior of our lives. That's poorly constructed, that's a poorly constructed sentence. That's the wrong way to think about it. Jesus is already Lord. He's already King. There's nothing we can do one way or another that will affect that. He is who He is. Someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. We need to figure out how will we acknowledge Him as Lord? How will we worship Him? How will we celebrate Him as King? as the king that he already is, as the savior that he already is. Picture number one, Jesus is Lord. Picture number two, Jesus is king. Picture number three, Jesus is judge. Let's look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is really a unique verse, and it's a verse that holds a great deal of hope, a great deal of encouragement, and it's also a verse that's just a, a little bit uh, worrisome, that just, well, it's a little scary, because it reminds us that Jesus is judge. Jesus rides into town, the first place he goes is the temple, and it, it, it ought not surprise us. Jesus has been to the temple before. Do you remember one of the few stories we have about Jesus from his childhood? He's 12 years old, and mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, are, are going with Jesus, their son. They're making this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They show up at the temple, they do their thing, and they're getting ready to go back home. What you need to know is this is a family uh, vacation, right, that doesn't look like most of our family vacations, because most of the time when we go on family vacation, it's just, you know, our immediate family. We kind of head out, and then we come home, and we do that sort of alone. Well, nobody traveled in the ancient world in that way. It was dangerous to leave your home and to travel to another city, and so people always went with other families. And so there was a group of families from Nazareth or from Galilee or wherever. Maybe there were families that joined the caravan as they headed to Jerusalem. And that same group was ready to head back home from Jerusalem. And, and so the way these caravans worked, the way people traveled in that day is that, that men sort of traveled together and the women sort of traveled together. And if you were a child, it sort of depended on, uh, especially a, a young boy, it would depend on your age. If you were, if you were a little young child, preschool, kind of elementary age kind of kid, you probably hang out with mom and you travel with mom and, and her friends. If you were a little older, uh, you would travel with dad and, and his buddies. And so Jesus as a 12-year-old is sort of in this in-between age, all right? 
And so what happens is, 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 hey, as parents, maybe we've been there. Mary and Joseph and the whole caravan is ready to leave. Uh, Joseph assumes that Jesus is with Mary. Mary assumes that Jesus is with Joseph. And so they head back home. Perhaps they stop for lunch. I don't know what's going on exactly. Mary uh, comes to talk to Joseph, or Joseph goes to talk to Mary. And Joseph says, hey, Mary, where's Jesus? And, and Mary said, I don't know. I, you know. I thought Jesus was with you. And Joseph said, no, Jesus isn't with me. I thought he was with you. And then they realize that they've lost the son of God right and so they head back to Jerusalem that's a big deal we got to go find him and so they go back to Jerusalem Mary sees Jesus in the temple he's been hanging out with the rabbis having this deep theological conversation the rabbis are amazed at what this young kid is telling to them and 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 Mary says Jesus what are you doing where have you been and Jesus said you should have known I'd be in my father's house And so we ought not be surprised that the first place that Jesus goes as he rides into Jerusalem is to the temple and he looks around and he's sad at what he sees. And he's angry at what he sees. He sees the temple being a place where the under-resourced are taken advantage of rather than helped. He sees the temple as a place where individuals are seeking their own gain rather than proclaiming God as one who cares about everyone. And so Jesus looks around and he's sad and he's angry. And so it ought to scare us a little bit because we know Jesus. On this side of the cross, we know the story that Jesus is coming back to clear that place out that Jesus is coming back to judge those folks who are taking advantage of the less fortunate. And that ought to remind us that Jesus is coming back to judge me. And he's coming back to judge you. But there's so much hope in this same verse. Because even though Jesus is hurt and even though Jesus is angry he he leaves it for another day understand I I don't think this is just because hey it's kind of late I'm going to clear the temple another day I don't think it's because Jesus is worn out I think it's because this is the nature of Jesus I will be patient And even though I'm angry, and even though I'm hurt, I will be patient, and I'll provide time for these folks to realize that, hey, I am Lord, and I am King, and yes, I am Judge, but I am also Savior. That's what he's provided in my life, time over and over and over again for me to admit for me to come clean, for me to say, I'm a screw-up, I'm a sinner, I'm a joke, I desperately need a Savior. And that moment when Jesus turns away because it's late is that moment in time when he's offering to those, taking advantage of folks in that temple, this is your time to come clean, that you, just like everybody else, is in desperate need of a Savior. And this morning, this is our time, this is our moment when we can come clean. 
that we are in desperate need of a Savior, that we can admit and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, and yes, that Jesus is Judge, but that He's also Savior, and that He also loves us in this amazing way. You know, I'm thinking about those pictures of baseball players. I'm thinking about baseball cards. You know, people will say sometimes that a baseball player is what the back of his baseball card says he is. And if you're Babe Ruth, that's a really good thing. Because the back of your baseball card says you have over 3,000 career hits, you hit 714 home runs, that you hold the record, you held the record for more than 80 years of consecutive scoreless innings as a pitcher in the World Series. It says you're one of the all-time greats, perhaps the greatest baseball player of all time. If you're Jorge Soler, it says something else. It says you have 29 measly career home runs that you have fewer total career hits than Babe Ruth had home runs, that you've got a long ways to go. The great news for Jorge Soler is that every year somebody changes the back of their baseball card. You know, that somebody performs way better than they've ever performed before. They excel in a way that they've never excelled before. And the great news for us is that Jesus comes. He came as Lord and as King and as Judge and absolutely as Savior to change the back of our baseball card. Because even though I've been trying my whole life, I've messed up over and over and again, and I'm in desperate need of that Savior to change the back of my baseball card. And that's exactly what our Lord, our King, our Judge and our Savior does.